Revelation 5 and verse 6, we'll, we'll just read this brief portion again and we're going to continue doing what we've been doing. John, you'll remember, heard the elder tell him to stop weeping, weep no more. Behold, the lion of the tribe of Judah, the root of David, has conquered so that he can open the scroll and its seven seals. And then in verse 6, John says, In between the throne and the four living creatures and among the elders, I saw a lamb standing as though it had been slain. So we're considering this phrase, the lamb standing as though it had been slain, who we know is the Lord Jesus. This is a picture revealing to us various um, character or attributes of the Lord Jesus. And we're asking questions like, what does this teach us? What does the lamb image teach us about Jesus? What thoughts or feelings should this evoke in us when we see this word lamb capitalized in Scripture? How, how should we feel about it? Why has God chosen the Lamb to foreshadow and illustrate our Lord? Of all of the animals that He could have chosen, why the Lamb? We've talked about His meekness. We've talked about the self-denial of Christ. And today I want to continue thinking along these lines of the, a physical lamb or an actual animal lamb. Remember that a lamb is a very tender animal, a harmless animal. Two passages of Scripture that I, I want to just reference to get your minds going in a, in a direction. In 1 Samuel 17, 34, David is, is describing his uh, history in shepherding, and he mentions that while he would be tending the sheep, a bear or a wolf might come and take away one of the lambs. So he's tending the sheep as a flock, but a bear or a wolf would possibly come and take a lamb. Now, if you've watched any type of safari shows or anything, you know that, that whenever a predator comes, the, the older animals, they don't have much of an instinct like we have. Usually, they just, they just get out of town. They flee. While a lamb, a younger and smaller animal, is not going to be as fast. And that makes an easy target because of that. They're an easier prey. Lambs were easier to come by if you were a bear or a wolf. Isaiah 11 and verse 6 says that the wolf in a future day, and it's describing this, this peaceful state ushered in by the Messiah, it says the wolf shall dwell with the lamb. And it gives other images. But the idea is that the predator is going to dwell with the prey. A completely unnatural Peace, as far as we understand it, because the lamb is the prey. A lamb is not a predator. A lamb is not the attacker. The lamb is the one who is attacked. The lamb, and this is a word that is in the dictionary, a lamb is get atable. They're easy to get at, easy to come by. A lamb is accessible and alluring if you're a predator. You're going to look for the weaker ones. You're going to look for the younger ones. And a lamb is a young sheep. If you've ever been to a petting zoo, you know that this is true. You're not a predator, hopefully, at a petting zoo. But you know that if you see a lamb, a lamb is inviting. A lamb is attractive. You're drawn to a lamb. You want to pet a lamb. Nobody at a petting zoo is afraid of a lamb. There's no plexiglass wall dividing you from the lambs. There's no chain link fence to keep the lambs from getting to you. 
Usually, if there are lambs, the fence is so low, you can reach your hand over and pet them. Now, let's compare this with what we know of our God. The presence of God is often very fearful and disconcerting in Scripture. In the Exodus, what do we read? God comes down upon the mountain, and then not long after that, the people stood far off. It's as if as God's presence came down, they, they just ran, looking for a spot on the earth that wasn't moving so that they could stop and feel at peace. Men tremble in the presence of God. Earth quakes in the presence of God. In the New Testament, we learn that God dwells in unapproachable light. I was telling the men yesterday about when you're watching somebody weld or use a torch, the light is so bright that it is physically difficult to see, to look at. It, it brings pain. God's, God's light is, far surpasses anything we've ever experienced. God dwells in unapproachable light, but the unapproachable, glorious light of God took bone of our bone and flesh of our flesh and has condescended in one who is approachable, like a lamb. In Christ, God is inviting, alluring. God in Christ has become to us accessible. And so the lamb image reminds us that our Lord is approachable. Throughout the earthly ministry of our Lord, nobody ever feared coming to Jesus. Nobody thought twice. No one held back. There was something, and this is, I believe that this is something we will only be able to describe when we see Him. But there was something about this man that was, that was so alluring that people from every walk of life, from every perspective, whether you loved Him or you hated Him, they could not but come to Him. They, they had to get to Him. And so I want to consider the approachability of Jesus. First, by way of illustration, like we've been doing, I just want to survey the Gospels. And most of these are going to come from Matthew, because if you're surveying the Gospels, you're going to start in Matthew, and the other synoptics will sort of add to the testimony. But most of these will be from Matthew's Gospel, and I don't want you to feel obligated to turn to these. This might be the most Scripture references I've ever had in a single sermon. So if you're, you're turning, your, your pages are going to be smoking by the time we get done. Don't feel obligated to turn to all of them. I just want you to listen. And my goal at, at this point is really to overwhelm you. I want you to be inundated with this idea. Because this is something we don't pay attention to when we read the Gospels very often. So I do want to overwhelm you with Scripture references. And I've, I've prayed even this morning that the, the repetition and the, the numerous references wouldn't become... Uh, they wouldn't be so familiar that they are, they are contemptible. That we wouldn't feel impatient to get to the next point. But let the Word of God fall upon your ears and pay attention to how you hear these. On the other hand, I want you to remember who it is we're talking about here. This is God the Son. The One who hung the stars, named the stars. Life incarnate, light incarnate, the door, the way, the living bread, the living water, the Lamb that God has chosen. That's who we're talking about. Everlasting Father is what He's referred to as in, in Isaiah. At His birth, Matthew chapter 2. Now, after Jesus was born in Bethlehem of Judea in the days of Herod the king, behold, wise men from the east came to Jerusalem, saying, where is He who has been born King of the Jews? For we saw His star when it rose 
and have come to worship Him. Verse 10, When they saw the star, they rejoiced exceedingly with great joy, and going into the house, they saw the child with Mary his mother, and they fell down and worshipped. Now this is one of those stories that we have heard our entire lives. We've seen these nativity scenes that are completely biblically inaccurate, where these wise men are standing in a stable. We've got this picture, but do we ever stop to think these men came from the east as soon as the Lord was on the world stage? Foreigners came to Him and fell down and worshipped in the presence of a baby. Drawn to Him, came to Jesus. In Luke chapter 2, as He's brought into the temple, we have this record of of Simeon and Anna, but Simeon specifically, it says he came in the Spirit to the temple, in the Spirit, what does that mean? Led by the Spirit, drawn into the temple by the Spirit, and when the parents brought in the child Jesus to do for him according to the custom of the law, he, Simeon, took him up in his arms and blessed God. He's just drawn. He he comes and grabs this baby and blesses God that the Christ has come into the world. So even at His birth, men, we see, are just are coming to Jesus. In His ministry, the sick and the lame, the infirm, came to Jesus. Matthew chapter 4 says, His fame spread throughout all Syria, and they brought Him all the sick, those afflicted with various diseases and pains, those oppressed by demons, those having seizures and paralytics, and He healed them. Matthew chapter 8, verse 2, And behold, a leper came to him. Verse 16, That evening they brought to him many who were oppressed by demons. Matthew chapter 9, verse 2, And behold, some people brought to him a paralytic lying on a bed. Chapter 9, verse 20, Behold, a woman who had suffered from a discharge of blood for twelve years, came up behind him and touched the fringe of his garment. We Imagine it. How awkward. How, how strange is this? She just had to get to him. She knew, I've got to get to him. And she came. Matthew 14, verse 34, When they had crossed over, they came to land at Gennesaret. And when the men of that place recognized him, They sent around to all that region and brought to Him all who were sick and implored Him that they might only touch the fringe of His garment. And as many as touched it were made well. Chapter 17, verse 14, When they came to the crowd, a man came up to Him, kneeling before Him. Matthew 21, 14, And the blind and the lame came to Him in the temple. Mark 1, 40, A leper came to Him, imploring Him and kneeling. Mark 8, 22, they came to Bethsaida and some people brought to him a blind man and begged him to touch him. Luke 5, 12, when he was in one of the cities, there came a man full of leprosy. And when he saw Jesus, he fell on his face. Mark chapter 10, verse 46, they came to Jericho. And as he was leaving Jericho with his disciples and a great crowd, Bartimaeus... A blind beggar, the son of Timaeus, was sitting by the roadside. And when he heard that Jesus of Nazareth, or when he heard that it was Jesus of Nazareth, he began to cry out and say, Jesus, son of David, have mercy on me. And many rebuked him, telling him to be silent. But he cried out all the more, 
Son of David, have mercy on me. And Jesus stopped and said, Call him. And they called the blind men, saying to him, Take heart, get up, he is calling you. And throwing off his cloak, he sprang up and came to Jesus. Now how often are we like that crowd? Creating impediments to come to Jesus that Jesus has not created. Holding people off by our our presentation of Christ that is incorrect when Christ says, call Him. Do you preach a gospel wherein you hold forth a Christ who is unapproachable? Of course, when we bring the terrors of the law, when we thunder the, the terrors of God's law and bring men into the presence of God, that's going to cause men to be fearful. It ought to bring men into a fearful state. But when we begin to preach Christ, it ought to be, He ought to be presented as a bundle of myrrh. Sweet, smelling, fragrant, drawing, attractive to men. They brought to Him all kinds of sick and they came to Him... In his ministry, it wasn't just individuals or, or small groups of people. We know that crowds of people came to Jesus. Matthew 8, 1, when he came down from the mountain, great crowds followed him. Verse 18, Jesus saw a crowd around him. Matthew 12, 15, Jesus, aware of this, withdrew from there and many followed him. Matthew 13, 1 and 2, the same day, Jesus went out of the house and sat beside the sea, and great crowds gathered about Him. Chapter 14, verse 13, When Jesus heard this, He withdrew from there in a boat to a desolate place by Himself. But when the crowds heard it, they followed Him on foot from the towns. Matthew 15, 30, and great crowds came to Him. Matthew 19, 2, large crowds followed Him. Matthew 20, 29, as they went out of Jericho, a great crowd followed Him. Mark chapter 2, when He returned to Capernaum after some days, it was reported that He was at home. And many were gathered together so that there was no more room even at the door. You know the story. He's preaching. They want to get this paralytic into his presence, but they can't because of the crowd. It's so crowded, they can't get to him. So they had to make a hole in the roof and let him down through the roof. Verse 13, he went out again beside the sea and all the crowd was coming to him. Mark chapter 3, Jesus withdrew with His disciples to the sea and a great crowd followed Him from Galilee and Judea and Jerusalem and Idumea and from beyond the Jordan and from around Tyre and Sidon. When the great crowd heard all that He was doing, they came to Him. Mark chapter 4 verse 1, He began to teach beside the sea and a very large crowd gathered around Him. Mark 5.21, when Jesus had crossed again into the boat to the other side, a great crowd gathered about Him. 5.24, a great crowd followed Him and thronged about Him. Luke 4.42, when it was day, He departed and went into a desolate place, and the people sought Him and came to Him and would have kept Him from leaving them. Luke 5, 1, on one occasion, while the crowd was pressing in to hear him, or to hear the word of God, he was standing by the lake of Gennesaret. Luke 6, verse 17, he came down with them and stood on a level place with a great crowd of his disciples and a great multitude of people. 
from all Judea and Jerusalem and the seacoast of Tyre and Sidon, who came to hear Him and to be healed of their diseases. And those who were troubled with unclean spirits were cured, and all the crowd sought to touch Him. Luke 8, 4, a great crowd was gathering, and people from town after town came to Him. Luke 8, 40, now when Jesus returned, the crowd welcomed Him, for they were all waiting for Him. Now imagine, and this is what we... This is how I think. How aggravating this must have been. He couldn't go anywhere without being thronged, crowded, mashed into rooms because of the crowds that were coming to Him. How frustrating this must have been for Him. But in Luke chapter 9 and verse 11 it says, When the crowds learned it, they followed Him and He welcomed them and spoke to them of the kingdom of God and cured those who had need of healing. He welcomed crowds. Not because he liked being famous. Not because he, he wanted to be made king. We know in various places, whenever they were come, would come to make him king, he would find a way out. But he welcomed them. Great crowds came to him. His disciples came to him. Matthew 5, 1, seeing the crowds, he went up on the mountain, and when he sat down, his disciples came to him. Matthew 8, 23, when he got into the boat, the disciples followed him. Matthew 8, 25, and they went and woke him, saying, Save us, Lord, we are perishing. Most of us are afraid of waking up a sleeping baby. How many of us men, our wives, are afraid to wake us up because there are fearful of how we might respond, a harsh response because we got woke up. Not Jesus. They weren't afraid to wake Him up. Matthew 13, 10, the disciples came and said to Him. Matthew 13, 36, He left the crowds and went into the house and His disciples came to Him. Matthew 18, 1, at that time the disciples came to Jesus. They were constantly coming to Him. The disciples of John came to him, Matthew 9, 14. Matthew 8, 5, when he entered Capernaum, a centurion came forward to him, appealing to him. A Roman soldier came to Jesus. Matthew 9, 18, while he was saying these things, behold, a ruler came in and knelt before him, Jairus, a, a, a head leader in a synagogue, came to Jesus. The religious leaders came to Jesus. Matthew 8, 19 a scribe came up to him and said to him, Teacher, I'll follow you wherever you go. Matthew 15, 1, the Pharisees and scribes came to Jesus from Jerusalem. 19, 3, Pharisees came up to him. Chapter 21, verse 23, when he entered the temple, the chief priests and the elders of the people came up to him as he was teaching. Matthew 22, 23, that same day Sadducees came to him. In John chapter 3, there was a man of the Pharisees named Nicodemus, a ruler of the Jews. This man came to Jesus. The religious leaders came to him. Demoniacs came to him, Matthew 8, 28, when he came to the other side, to the country of the Gadarenes. Two demon-possessed men met him. Mark only addresses one of them and says that when he saw Jesus from afar, he ran and fell down before him. Jesus' feet hit the shore, and the demon-possessed man runs to him and falls at his feet. Matthew 9, 10, As Jesus reclined at table in the house, behold, many tax collectors and sinners came 
and were reclining with Jesus. Luke 15.1, tax collectors and sinners were all drawing near to Him. Sinners came to Jesus. Matthew 15, verse 22, A Canaanite woman from that region came out and was crying, Have mercy on me, O Lord, son of David. My daughter is severely oppressed by a demon, but he did not answer her a word. And his disciples came and begged him, saying, Send her away, for she's crying out after us. He answered, I was sent only to the lost sheep of the house of Israel. But she came and knelt before him, saying, Lord, help me. In John chapter 4, the woman at the well runs back to Sychar and tells the people, Come and see a man who told me all that I ever did. Can this be the Christ? They went out of the town and were coming to him. In Matthew 19, 13, children were brought to him. In Matthew 19, 16, a rich young ruler came up to him saying, Teacher, what good deed must I do to have eternal life? Matthew 20, 20, the mother of the sons of Zebedee came up to him. In Matthew or Mark 14:3 While he was at Bethany in the house of Simon the leper he was reclining at table a woman came with an alabaster flask of ointment of pure nard very costly and she broke the flask and poured it over his head As we get closer to his death the crowds again went out to meet him John 12:13 they took branches of palm trees and went out to meet him John 12 and verse 20. This is a very fascinating reference. Those, among those who went up to worship at the feast were some Greeks. So these came to Philip, who was from Bethsaida in Galilee, and asked him, Sir, we wish to see Jesus. Philip went and told Andrew. Andrew and Philip went and told Jesus. Jesus answered them, The hour has come for the Son of Man to be glorified. Over and over we see him saying, My hour has not yet come. My hour has not yet come. They could not get to Him. They could not arrest Him because His hour had not yet come. And yet these Greeks come and He hears that they are there seeking Him and He says, the hour has come. Their coming signified that His time had come. There's like a spiritual magnetism. Before He can even be lifted up on the cross, men are being drawn to Jesus. Matthew 26, 49, Judas who would betray Him, came up to Jesus. In verse 50, those who arrested Him came up and laid hands on Jesus. As He carried His cross to Golgotha, there followed Him a great multitude of people and of women. Luke 23, 27. After His death, Matthew 28, 1, after the Sabbath, toward the dawn of the first day of the week, Mary Magdalene and the other Mary went to see the tomb. Verse 9 of that chapter, they came up and took hold of His feet and worshipped Him. Those he spoke with on the road to Emmaus as they were about to part ways, they urged him strongly saying, stay with us. We find out later the reason that they wanted him to stay because their hearts had been burning within them as he spoke. John 21, 7. When Simon Peter heard that it was the Lord, he put on his outer garment for he was stripped for work and threw himself into the sea. Now can you imagine having sinned like Peter... Remember the gospel tells us that as he's denying the Lord, he looks and sees the Lord looking at him. So Peter knows what he's done. He knows that Jesus knows what he's done. That's awkward, right? And yet when John says, it is the Lord, Peter says, 
I can't wait on you slowpokes to drag these fish in. I've got to get to him. And he throws himself into the sea, drawn to this one that he knows he has offended. But he must be near him. And then after that, in verse 20 of that chapter, Peter turned and saw the disciple whom Jesus loved following them. You know the account, the situation where Jesus keeps saying, Peter, do you love me? Peter, do you love me? Three times. Apparently this had happened as Jesus and Peter sort of got up from the group and went to walk. You know, we need to have a little talk. Then they turn around behind him and we have John, the disciple whom Jesus loved, who had laid his head on his breast and there he is following right behind. He can't stay away. Can you see how in the Gospels... The man Jesus Christ is the one great attraction. It's almost as if every paragraph, every scene begins with people coming, coming, coming. It's as if He came to earth and there was this spiritual centripetal force that just drew men to Him. Creation itself and the image of God in men recognizing their Creator has come, is is soon to make a ransom payment, soon to begin to restore all things. The One to whom all things exist sets His feet upon the earth and men are just drawn. They're created to be around the Creator. This is why we exist and we see it playing out. They're coming, they're coming, they're coming. Now, there is a... An objection because we could say, well, most of them just came for healing. They just came, we might say many of them came selfishly. We might say many of them came with bad motives. Many of them came, especially the religious leaders, they were coming to Him because they wanted to kill Him. And we can say, sure, that is true. In in many cases, the reason that they came was probably not for pure motives, but they still came. They still knew where the healing was. They still knew where the power was. The religious leaders knew there's something about this man that is, that is making the pride within me boil. There's something in him that's going to bring our kingdom down. They knew where he was. So we, we could never justify our unwillingness to come genuinely by saying, well, some other men came and they were not genuine. If we can recognize that difference, then we ought to be all the more coming to him in genuineness. So that's the first way we see the approachability and the attractiveness of Christ. Just through illustration, read the Gospels. People couldn't stay away. The second one, and this is shorter, the second way we see the approachability of Christ is by invitation. Nothing makes somebody more approachable than a personal invitation. If I say to you, as I have to most of you at my house, yeah, come over any time. You don't believe that. Because you wouldn't feel right just coming over any time. But if I say, hey, let's get together on this day, at this time, and you agree you're free on this day and at this time, and there's an agreement, there's a, 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 an official invitation, not only are you no longer afraid to come, you feel obligated to come. We've, we've got an agreement. We've, there's, and an invitation has been sent out. Nothing makes somebody more approachable than a personal invitation. In Proverbs chapter 9, wisdom says, Whoever is simple, let him turn in here. To him who lacks sense, come, eat of my bread, drink of the wine I have mixed. 
Leave your simple ways and live. And walk in the way of insight. Turn in here. Right here's the sign. Somebody directing traffic. Come in here. Come in here. Are you simple? Turn in here. To Christ. Isaiah 55. Come. Everyone who thirsts. Come to the waters. And he who has no money. Come. Buy and eat. Come. Buy wine and milk without money and without price. Why do you spend your money for that which is not bread? And your labor for that which does not satisfy. Listen diligently to me and eat what is good and delight yourself in rich food. Incline your ear and come to me. Hear that your soul may live and I will make with you an everlasting covenant. My steadfast, sure love for David. Matthew 22.9 Go therefore to the main roads and invite to the wedding feast as many as you find. The words of Jesus specifically, Matthew eleven twenty eight, Come to Me all who labor and are heavy laden, and I will give you rest. Nothing makes somebody more approachable than an invitation. We can't say we don't have an invitation. It's gone out. Whoever is simple, whoever lacks sense, whoever thirsts, Whoever is poor, as many as will, anyone laboring under a heavy burden, anyone seeking rest, as many as will come, may come to Jesus. Now you might have had a history of of relatives or loved ones who you were afraid to approach. Perhaps you grew up in a home where there were certain times of the day you don't bother daddy. Maybe you've had an employer whose leadership style was intimidating. So you didn't feel comfortable having a a close conversation. Maybe we can imagine being in the presence of someone of of a high political status and we would fumble over our words because we were nervous and, and fearful. If you belong to Christ, someday you're going to see Him coming on the crowd, the clouds with great glory. And I believe in that moment we're going to be so drawn up in wonder and love and praise and attraction unlike anything we've ever experienced because He's the Lamb of God. The Lion of the tribe of Judah will come and He is the Lamb of God. Those who loved Jesus came to Him. Those who needed Jesus came to Him. Those who abused Jesus came to Him. Those who hated Jesus came to Him. Those who revered Jesus came to Him. People who were related to Him, His mother and His brothers came to Jesus. Those who doubted Jesus came to Him. Those who had no doubts at all came to Him. The rich came to Jesus. The poor came to Jesus. The old came to Jesus. The young came to Jesus. People who knew Him came to Him. People who were complete strangers came to Him. You will not find in all of the sacred record a single account of anyone afraid to come to this man. There was never one so approachable as Jesus Christ. Now picture it. There is none in the universe so unapproachable as God to fallen men. And yet there is none so approachable to fallen men as the man Christ Jesus. They came, they came, they came, they came. The only eternally beneficial coming to Jesus is the coming that's synonymous with saving faith. 
It's the coming of the whole soul to rest upon the whole Christ. We have accounts of people in the Scriptures who came for superficial reasons. We have people who came to Jesus who really despised Him. Their testimony, again, that's just to their wickedness. It's not to His approachability. They still came. There are a lot of people today who who come to Jesus in a superficial way. They might come mentally. They might come inquisitively trying to find in Him some justification for why they still refuse to come to Him in whole-souled faith upon Him. A lot of people will come to Jesus mentally to look for loopholes in His holiness. Oh, His standards are not as high as people say that they are. Some people might come to Jesus and they see His meekness and they imagine it to be a weakness. Or they see His self-denial and they think that that lessens their need to come to His self. Well, He denied Himself and well, if He would deny Himself, then I guess I don't need His self all that much. So the question is, have you ever come to Jesus in true saving faith, casting yourself upon this man? I don't mean coming to a worship service, a lifestyle. I don't mean coming to attempted piety. Well, I'm going to try to start reading and praying more. That's not coming to Jesus. I don't mean coming to traditional southern sentimental feelings about a cross or hymn books or an old country church or any of that garbage. I mean coming to a person, coming to the man, Jesus Christ. Have you ever come to Jesus? From this survey of the Gospels, I believe that we can say with absolute certainty that if you have not come, it's not because Jesus is unapproachable. It's not because He's not given you the invitation to come. If you have not come to Jesus, it's because you will not come. You have no excuse. No one has an excuse not to come to Jesus. And if you will not come to Jesus, someday you will be brought to Jesus. Matthew 25, 32 says, Before Him will be gathered all the nations. You come now or you're gathered then. Either way, every person who's ever lived will stand face to face before the Lion of Judah. Would anybody in this congregation suggest that there's anything more foolish than to refuse to come to Jesus? It's the epitome of folly. It is the the, the height, the climax of insanity to hear of the man Christ Jesus and say, I think I'll not come. I'm okay. Everybody came to Jesus. Now here's the amazing thing. Not only does He invite us to Himself, not only is He approachable, He invites us to His table. And there's not a bad seat at His table. Because it's the table of communion with the Lord. A table, the supper of remembrance and of hope. We look back at what has happened. We look forward to what will be at the table. And He invites us. We've said this many times in the ancient world. To sit and to have a meal was, was the extent of intimacy. It was to identify yourself with the people you're eating with. He's invited us to His table. So we consider Christ... 
crucified. Now let me ask you, what would you do if you're, you're driving down the road, down the interstate, you're at the store, you're at the park, you're in the woods, and you see a man bleeding and dying? What would you do? You'd go to him. You might not know what to do. You might not know how to help. You might not know what to say. But I don't know that there's any human being on the planet who would recognize another human being bleeding and dying and continue walking as if they were not affected. So as we consider Christ on the cross, we're considering the Lamb of God bleeding and dying. And in that, we know, what did He say? When I am lifted up, I will draw all men to Myself. It's the crucifixion of Christ which is the the, the central attraction When we come to the table, we remember and proclaim a Savior dying to draw men to Himself. Nobody's more approachable than somebody who's dying to have you come to Him. So consider Christ, the Lamb of God slain for the sins of the world, and then we'll come to the table.